we Christians don't make peace with death the way Buddhists do, where they just say, I'm looking at the darkness, and you know what? I'm just going to let go of this delusion that I exist anyway, and then melt into the nothing, right? No, no, no. That's not Christian, quote, enlightenment. We make peace with death by getting real close to it, looking it in the eye and saying, I win. <laughs> in Jesus Christ, I win. Because the love of God overcame, overpowered, overthrew the tyranny of death. In the words of St. Paul, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We still experience it. We still have its pain, but Jesus conquered. And this is kind of a wild thing. Since Jesus rose from the dead and delivered humanity from the fear of death, we've Christians have been at this for so long, we almost take it for granted. We have this generally positive worldview that things all work out okay in the end. Guys, that's TM trademark Jesus Christ. <laughs> we didn't have that before the resurrection. This is the most important moment in history, the moment that Jesus, boom, rose from the dead. If only we had a snapshot. If only we had a picture of that moment. Hey, turns out we do. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about the picture of that moment that is the Shroud of Turin, the overwhelming, growing mound of evidence that the Shroud of Turin is what Christians have been claiming it is uh, for, for millennia. And I have one of the most brilliant minds in the Catholic Church, Father Spitzer, here to talk about that with me today. Thanks for being with us. Super quick commercial before we dive into the topic of today. Uh, I lead pilgrimages to the Holy Land every year. Go to reallifecatholic.com, check that out. Dr. Tim Gray also leads pilgrimages to the Holy Land. You just Google either of our names and Holy Land. I don't care who the heck you go with. I, I want every Christian to go to the Holy Land. A lot of Catholics have it in their minds. I, I need to go to Rome before I die. Rome's cool. The, the, the tomb of Peter's cool. Standing in the empty tomb of Jesus is next level cool. So please, <laughs> no offense, Peter. Uh, mm -hmm. Please come with one of us someday. And Father Spitzer, thank great. you so oh, much. Well, great to be with you again, Chris. Oh my gosh, I could sit and hang out with you and have coffee every single day and talk about this stuff. <laughs> oh, I, I just a lot I, to it. Yeah, I, I, uh, Larry Smith, he's a right hand man. He's yeah. like, he, he's like, I, I'm thinking of the questions for these shows. He's like, dude, just yeah. hit play. <laughs> <laughs> Father Spitzer's gonna, he's gonna be all like a like a team of horses. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Before we dive in, into the science of the shroud, you know, for those who never heard of it. Give me a brief summary. What is the Shroud of Turin? The Shroud of Turin is a 14-foot long linen cloth by three and a half feet. It has a herringbone twill uh, weave on it with very expensive uh, uh, weave and linen um, that was used. Uh, it is purported to be the burial cloth of Jesus. I think there's a substantial amount of evidence for it. On the shroud, you can see a perfect three-dimensional photographic negative image emblazoned on a non-photographically sensitive linen cloth. The image <laughs> emblazoned on the cloth is a photographic negative. So if you actually take a picture of it and look at the negative uh, of the picture you just took, you will see 
um, Jesus as he, um, I believe that's Jesus, as he really looked. And you will not only see the positive image of Jesus, you will see inside of him as well. So um, uh, as we'll discuss momentarily, um, you can see like the bones in his hand and the flesh around uh, the bones in perfect three-dimensional layering. So you can have these um, you know, uh, VD, um, you know, uh, eight um, uh, analyzers that can basically um, uh, see the three-dimensional layering on the on the shroud. And these things in turn, uh, for example, you look at the backbone and the flesh surrounding the backbone, um, you can see that this uh, this cloth actually not only captures the outside, the surface, but the inside of the person in perfect three-dimensional layering. It's absolutely remarkable. Um, the origin of that image. I mean, we're 30 seconds in, I'm like, okay, I'm sold. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, no, it, it's, oh, yeah. It's, it's like, it's the most unusual image in the whole history of images in the world, and it is the most scientifically analyzed image um, uh, or a, a historical artifact in the history of artifacts in the world. I mean, by far, uh, like way, way, way by far. Wow. So we're talking about hundreds of tests that have been all, scientific tests already performed on the shroud. But additionally, on that shroud, in addition to the image, are 372 blood stains. 372 blood stains. Yeah, 205, I believe, on the back and something like 159 or something on the front. I hope that adds up to pretty close to 372. What a meditation on the passion that is. Yeah, it, well, that's the thing. It contains almost line by line. It contains the gospel accounts of Jesus's highly unusual crucifixion, right? We only have one crucifixion with a crown of thorns in history, Jesus. We only have one crucifixion where there's, uh, you know, a spear that is thrown into the man's side and it outpours blood and water, which you can see the pleural fluid that looks, you know, transparent and the blood that's coming out of that wound between the fifth and the sixth ribs going up uh, at a 30 degree angle as the spear is. They can actually tell the angle based you, on the shroud. You can use the angle and you can also tell the shape, uh, the elliptical shape, the leaf-like shape of the spearhead of the Roman legionary spear that is thrust up. You can see it in the wound and right around the wound is congealed blood and also pleural edema fluid because it, it goes up into the pericardial sac, goes up into the pleural cavity, which is the lung cavity, and pulls out the transparent fluid from the lung cavity as well as the blood. And so mm. the person who saw it thought it was blood and mm. water. And there, it's, it's line-by-line line verification. And uh, there's so much more to the shroud scientifically that uh, we can oh, talk about oh in the crowd. But this is just the start. Uh. And the explanation for the image is absolutely mind-blowing because oh. it's going to have to be a radiation explanation. <laughs> kind of speechless. Yeah. I'm not like I'm in tears or anything about no, the, uh, no, no, it's the, really the witness to what he did for us. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, and obviously, the, I mean, just on a really basic level here, you have a photographic negative. Before the world knew there was such a thing as a photographic yeah, negative, exactly. that wasn't even a. Someone who wanted to fake that would yeah. not have said, "Let's fake a photographic negative." Exactly, because of course they would have had to have produced a very strong source of radiation to do it. I don't think medieval forgers had any such thing in their mind. By the way, that 1988 carbon dating has been completely debunked. Right, I was going to ask you about that. The, yeah. the, the annoying thing is that. 
that yeah. if you Google Shroud of Turin, one of the first things that comes up is a 1988 test, carbon yeah. dating, that, yeah. that they say, well, this isn't 2,000 years old, so therefore it's done. Yeah. Well, it's actually been debunked by four different tests. I yeah, mean, what was the claim of that carbon dating test and how was it debunked? Yeah, the um, claim, uh, well, first of all, the people who did the test violated mm. the protocols that were called for in the 1978 STIRP investigation. Mm. So in 1988, <clears throat> they did, they took one sample of the shroud from a very controversial corner that had been burned and then later mended by mm. some nuns with a technique called invisible uh, mending. And they took the, the one uh, strand for the sample and cut it into three pieces. Mm. The original protocol called for seven different spots on the linen shroud, none of which were controversial parts. Mm. Like right when you burn something, it adds con carbon content, including C14 content as well. Um, and so, and then you have it mended by a, a, a thread from another era. This is going to throw everything Obviously, completely right? wackadoodle. Why they chose that particular <clears throat> thread is unknown. I could attribute some bad faith to it, but I guess I shouldn't. But the main thing, though, is in 1998, Dr. Ray Rogers over at Los Alamos Laboratories um, and the, uh, the editor of Thermochimica, very prestigious peer-reviewed journal of thermal chemistry, he basically uh, found, got some samples that were from the spot on the shroud um, where um, uh, you know, the sample had been taken. Mm. And um, he analyzed those samples and saw that there was cotton content mm. in, um, the, uh, in the area where the sample was taken. That would have been cotton content from where the sisters mended the shroud with cotton. And he also found the gum dye mar mordant uh, to dye, you know, the... Um, the the, uh, the the cotton cloth to match the color of the linen, he found that also in the shroud. And so through pyrolysis and mass spectrometry and through the cotton content and a variety of other thermochemical tests, he said this, uh, this sample did not come from the original linen of the cloth, disqualifying it mm. to be um, dated. Well, props to and the that, sisters, because they did a pretty good job on that. Yeah, all this invisible amending. <laughs> Uh, truly an amazing technique. <laughs> and then on top of that, um, you've got the uh, um, uh, Tristan Casabianca. He, he had tried to, um, he and his team, they're a very prestigious journal called Archaeometry at Oxford. Archaeometry. Well, yeah, Archaeometry. Okay. Um, and he basically um, had, he made requests of the British Museum to get the raw dating of the test. Well, he finally had to resort 30 years later, after constant requests, he has to resort to a freedom of information demand from the British Museum to give up the raw data from the testing. And there, lo and behold, when he had a mathematician, statistician actually do the run-through of um, the raw data, it clearly showed stratification and variegation that, um, you know, obviously, you know, if we get that kind of heterogeneity yeah. <clears throat> in a shroud sample, it either indicates there's a ton of carbon that got mixed in, 
or different threads from different ages that are being combined. Yeah. And it, of course, immediately it disqualifies uh, that sample as being a valid sample. Now, how could this be published? I don't know how it's still getting circulated in the internet uh, so much. It drives me crazy. It, but it, yeah, it's it, been it, totally debunked. But it's people who don't want to believe. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's... And they, the Garlicelli and so forth. <clears throat> Yeah. have uh, said from time immemorial <clears throat> that they don't want to believe this. Right. So This is all in the yeah. will in the end, right? Yeah. It's like you, you choose to believe or not believe. Uh, the evidence is before yeah. us, but you have to decide for, for the evidence one way or the other. Oh, it's, yeah. It's about a relationship, not a topic. <clears throat> but this stuff helps. It really helps to have good reasons for what we believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, the Shroud's been around for a long time. It's recorded about throughout the church's history, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people for the past few thousand years now, in the, but in the past, when, when did it start being uh, subject to, to just modern uh, science and mm -hmm. all these tests you're talking about? And what, what are some of the most compelling of these tests that this is? <clears throat> yeah, well, first, just with respect to the dating tests, a variety of, have been done since the carbon dating. <clears throat> the first one was, um, uh, well, it was three tests done <clears throat> by Giulio Fonti, um, who is a uh, 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 basically a testing mechanical and uh, thermochemical testing expert um, and his group um, at the Italian uh, National Labs. And they did a Fourier-transformed infrared spectroscopy, um, a Raman laser spectroscopy. Lucky dogs and, uh, getting the shroud to test it like yeah. that. It's incredible. <laughs> it's hard to get to that thing. Right? Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. And, and mechanical compressibility and, and uh, tension tests. He averaged all the weights of the various tests and came up with an age of 90 AD, plus or minus um, 150 years with a 95% confidence level. So then, that's right in the, in the time zone. Right Jesus in the time God. zone. Yeah. And then recently, Liberato Riccaro and his group at the Italian National Labs did a very, uh, they peer-reviewed a wide-angle um, X-ray scattering test, um, which is independent of carbon content. Mm. Uh, basically, it's ambient secular temperature um, you know, uh, test. And that one, um, uh, he basically got uh, an age of between 55 to 74 AD. Now, that was peer-reviewed over three years. So that test is a wow. very highly accurate test. Wow. It tests the shroud. Um, you know, you obviously have to test it with spectral um, uh, beforehand, spectral ref uh, with sample claws having spectral reflectance similar in, um, in uh, 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 to that of the Shroud of Turin, and then uh, the Shroud's um, samples match precisely those coming from between 55 to 74 AD. Now, well, for, for, the, for the less scientific mind in there who's not assimilating all this information immediately, yeah. magiscenter.com. Yeah, exactly. Magiscenter.com, all these, these uh, reviewed papers, everything is on there. Yeah. All the resources about the Shroud of Turin yeah. that debunk the myth that it's that it's just a myth. Um, oh, yeah. What, go, no, go ahead. I want you to finish the point. I just want to say the one thing, though, is um, the, it, the carbon dating test could not be valid because um, if the shroud were only 700 years old, then according to the wide-angle X-ray scattering test, uh, the shroud would have had to have been in an ambient secular temperature of over the highest temperatures in the world for every single minute of its 700 year supposed existence, which of day and night, which of course is totally absurd. Yeah. So the carbon dating is just bunko debunked. 
But what's even more interesting is the face cloth of Oviedo in combination with it, because the face cloth of Oviedo is a face cloth that was, it's got a provenance that goes back to 616 AD. And if you remember the Gospel of John, yes. in there, when Peter and John go to the tomb and they're looking inside the tomb, John says, well, he saw, the beloved disciple saw that there was a cloth, a face cloth, rolled up in a separate place by itself and the burial linens were you know right the shroud was in a another place yeah. over here by itself yeah well as it turns out in 616 AD uh, we have now a permanent record of bishop to bishop finally given you know to Isidore of Seville which is put into um uh, you know a, a, a strong box basically uh in the cathedral of Oviedo in 700 AD and never gets moved again from 700 AD onwards now wow. what's interesting is of Wait, have we looked at this face cloth? Oh, absolutely. We're Is it a very, matching face of the shroud? Yeah. Well, no, because there's no image on it. Remember, the face cloth in a crucifixion, when it was used to take the body from the cross, right? So they wrap it around the face, mm. put the um, jaw up, um, you know, put the, the cloth under the jaw, come around the top of the head and bring it back down to the nape of the neck. And the reason was because this person would have been pummeled and, you know, bloodied and, wow. you know, there would have been pleural edema fluid coming out of his nose and his jaw would have been flopping. So they tried to make it, you know, they this is a beloved person. They didn't want to show the macabre mm. face. So they basically brought um, it back to the tomb. Then they removed um, the face cloth. So this gets removed before the resurrection. Oh. On the other hand, the, uh, so it gets the blood, but not the image. Wow. And by the way, on the shroud, as you'll, I'll be discussing, the blood preceded the image on the shroud. Because you get, what happened is as <laughs> the image is produced, there is what's this, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, basically oxidation and, and dehydration, uh, which produces friability in the cloth. And you can use um, electron microscopes. You can actually see um, whether or not there's friability underneath the blood stain. Friability. Yeah, a little crispiness of the thread. Oh, literally, of fry. the fibrils. Yeah, a sort of like yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, well, sort of like that. But yeah, fry, yeah, it just yeah. means a sort of a you know crispy consistency. You know, that so crumbles. The, a crumbly. The Blood was somewhat fried by, by yeah. a blast of heat and light. <laughs> well, actually, underneath it, though, there is no image underneath that blood. So the, it basically means, I mean, imagine a forger putting all the blood there perfectly, anatomically, and then putting the image over the top yeah, of it. Right, and know, speaking and, of that <laughs> image, what, what, it's laughable to think that could be a forge. Yeah, um, yeah, what kind uh, of light would have been required? Well, actually, if you do the ultraviolet radi uh, radiation hypothesis, it would be six to eight billion watts. That's like 500, um, uh, just think of, of like um, a half a million, um, 500,000 searchlights worth of light energy proceeding from <laughs> every point in that body for one forty billionth of a second. Hold on, I That's, want you to say that again because that is the most powerful resurrection <laughs> image ever. Yeah. Say that again a little slower. Uh, six to eight <laughs> billion watts of light energy, uh, vacuum, collimated vacuum ultraviolet radiation coming from that body. It's like a half a million searchlights <laughs> worth of light energy 
coming out for one forty billionth of a second. That, to be honest with you, Man. in order to get a one forty billionth of a second pulse, you'd have to use an ARF eczema laser. And if you use that laser, <laughs> it would have to exceed all the ultraviolet laser uh, radiation capacity we have in every laboratory of the world today, and it still could not produce that image. That's how powerful that image is. That's I mean, how powerful the resurrection of Jesus is. Yeah, if you imagine That's for one seismic force, man. That's yeah. incredible. It's not only that, but you know, dead bodies normally don't do that, <laughs> so you're going to have to have a supernatural <laughs> cause, obviously. And so uh, that image, it's so oh. powerful, and it's, it's, it goes right over the blood. So the blood stains are there first, and then the image goes over, and it's a perfect anatomical match because it's the same body oh my that's gosh. giving rise to the blood and to the radiation. <sighs> That produces Praise the God. image. But anyway, yeah. Have we done studies on the blood itself? Yes, we have. What have we learned about the blood? We have well, any DNA samples. Do we, you know, what, yeah. what are we able to get well, out of Well, first of all, you know, um, every of that 372, uh, of those 372 blood stains, uh, every single one of them is almost uh, unsmeared, unfractioned. This is going to become very important in a moment. But also, it contains... Uh, human hemoglobin. It has an AB blood type. It has human immunoglobulins. It has human whole blood. And it does have remnants of DNA molecular structures, but you don't have an amplifiable uh, profile. But I mean, let's face it, paint and dyes and rubs uh, don't have DNA um, uh, yeah. molecules, they don't have uh, human immunoglobulins, human hemoglobin, or AB blood type for AB that matter. AB positive, which yeah. is a universal recipient. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which uh, I, I would have thought maybe he'd have a universal donor, but no, he yeah. receives all of us. Yeah. We're yeah. grafted into the body of Christ. Yeah, it's I, very unusual. And I want to have you back to talk about Eucharistic miracles, but that's yeah. the blood type in the Eucharistic miracles. Yes, too. it is. Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, so yeah, those blood mind blowing. Oh well, you—it's mind blowing. The, the crucifixion story on it. That's yeah, the, I want to. I want to hear what. What does this reveal about the suffering? About the story of what he went through? Yeah. Well, I was just gonna, um, you know, just as you can see. First of all, there he was crowned with thorns, but a crown that <clears throat> no medieval forger could have thought of, right? So, <clears throat> to no, begin, take your time. Take your time. Uh, wow, what a profound <clears throat> meditation for. For Holy Week, for, oh, for yeah. all this, oh man! So um, you know, it's it's a, it's woven together. It's a thorn that is really um, prevalent in northern Judea, Judea and Jerusalem, but not other places outside of the Middle East. We could tell that just by yeah. looking at the wound. What kind yeah. of thorn was that? That's right, because you can see it has a curvature um, that's uh, very you know specific to a particular kind of thorn. Uh, thorn, and of course, on the top of the, the, in order to weave it together to keep it you know in place. Place, they had to put a top on the on the on the crown, which no medieval forger would have thought of. Mm. And furthermore, it would have caused more pain because there's a bunch of nerves that go right down the mm. center of the um, uh, skull, which are pretty. You know, they're all getting you know uh, penetrated, so it's very, very, very painful. Wow. Then we know uh, also that he was whipped with a Roman flagrum. Um, that mm. No medieval forger would have thought that you know they had a single thonged whip, whereas the Romans had three thongs, and there were little lead dumbbells, uh, you know, little teeny 
dumbbells on the end of them. So when they're, he's being whipped from the right and from the left. Mm. So there's two guys doing this. And of course, when it goes, it wraps around his side and the dumbbells go into his, uh, this, his side and then it tears his flesh off when they take the whip back. Oh. Well, this is happening to him like, you know, almost 200 times. And you look at that, the loss of blood, not to mention the pain, mm -hmm. would have been excruciating. And it would have been unthinkable for the Romans really to do it um, this way, except in the case of Jesus, where we are um, uh, given the explanation. Pontius Pilate wants to make him look like a train wreck so that, you know, people will say, okay, he's been punished. Mm. No need to kill him. You know, this is not a capital offense. Uh, he suffered as much as anybody deserves for calling himself, um, you know, uh, God's son and blaspheming. And of course, mm. uh, you look at, you know, the charge of blasphemy is completely unique in, Ju in Jewish and Roman juridical proceedings. Mm. Only in Jesus's case was the charge of blasphemy leveled against him. Mm. And by the way, the crown of thorns, the only reason that, um, I mean, we only have one uh, crucifixion in the whole of history we know of that where a person was crowned with thorns, but it makes sense in Jesus's case, King of the Jews, etc., etc. Mm. It makes sense in the narrative. Then I, that spear wound that I just talked about. I mean, where are you going to get blood and water and evidence of blood and water coming out of a wound? It had to actually that spear had to go in at that thirty degree angle, which it did, and it go have to go through the pleural edema mm. uh, um, uh, into the a pleural sac, but it had to go through the uh, pericardial sac first. It's going to nick the heart, causing mm. blood, go into the pleural edema sac, and so the water will flow. First the blood will come, then the uh, pleural edema fluid, the transparent fluid. And it's perfectly will, placed to have done that, it's it, it, perfect, as far as the image is concerned. Right between the fifth and sixth rib at the right angle to do precisely that. That's, of course, you know, we don't have crucifixions no. where the Romans are putting guys out of their misery. The whole point was to keep them crucified for two days. Right. And of course, in Jesus's case, he'd lost so much blood. And then, you know, the un inexplicable spear wound, which is so clearly present. And then you can see that he carried his own, um, uh, you know, cross beam on his shoulders because he's got a big, huge lump and a disc located shoulder. And so you can see by the, the scars on his knees mm. that what happened was the man was carrying this cross mm. beam and then he trips mm. and he goes right down on his knees. They capture all this in the image. From the image, absolutely. Wow. You can see it very clearly because of the angle. You can see that the beam went up and then bam, it hits his shoulder so hard that it not only dislocates his shoulder, but it jerks his neck around to the right. Mm. And then he becomes partially paralyzed on the upper right side. But you can see it because his eye is absorbed into the orbit, the right orbit, right? And it goes into a very abnormal, um, mm. uh, you know, depression in the right orbit. So his eye got sucked in and made him uh, paralyzed, which of course would uh, obviously increase the pain of the crucifixion. Mm. And then you can, you know, the nail wounds are going to have to go 
into this, uh, what's called the thenar furrow mm. here, and it goes out this end, this little V that you can feel mm. at the back of your wrist. So in the palm and out the wrist. In the palm and out the wrist, you know, and it about what, you know, about a 15 degree angle or so, mm. so that it comes out right here, right It's worse than just through the wrist, I think. Right. Yeah. And these nerves. Because it hits all the palm. nerves on the way out, but fastens onto this little V-shaped bone, which of course holds the hands to the cross. So you look at what this poor man went through, the excruciating whipping. I mean, I mean, he had to lose. His flesh was just torn off his body. I mean, that's all there is to it. I mean, it's like a shark attack, you know, uh, where, you know, it's just, it's just torn to pieces mm. by like a beast. And, and then finally, of course, you know, when he gets to the cross and the nailing and having to pull himself up on the cross, I mean, the story, all the blood wounds are in place. And what's so interesting is that face cloth of Oviedo that goes back to 616 AD, that has 120 points of congruence in those irregular blood stains as the face of the, of the man on oh, the Shroud on. of Turin. Wow. 120 points of congruence. Those two cloths had to touch the same face. You know, it almost makes you think this stuff's real. <laughs> Very real. And by the way, means also the cloth couldn't have been or originated in medieval times because the provenance of the face cloth of Oviedo is definitively 616 AD. And you can prove that through testimony after testimony, especially, mm. you know, sources like Isidore Seville and people, pilgrims visiting the face cloth in the cathedral of Oviedo again and again. That's where it was placed in 700 AD. Well, if you wow. look at that, and the two claws touch the same face, guess what? The shroud has to go back to 616 or before. Or you're going to say, this is the most remarkable coincidence that's ever oh, happened, man, no. and there's not even an image on the face cloth of Oviedo. I don't think so. I, I love yeah. uh, Thank you. I mean, I, I, there's just so, I could go on for two hours on this. Go to magiscenter.com and actually dive into this for the next two hours. Right now. <laughs> Push the kids aside. They'll be fine. Put them in front of SpongeBob. But, <laughs> actually, no, bring them with you to magiscenter.com. Oh, yeah. Dive into this mystery. I just love how this captures, it, yeah. his eyes aren't even open yet. Yeah. You know, it captures the death. It tells the story of his death and the resurrection in one image. Yeah. The closed eyes, the yeah. suffering, the testament to what he went through out of love for us. Yeah, absolutely. Which I, I thank God I made it through all you were saying without crying. Yeah. But And, the, and then that, to have that body, that dead body, mm. have half a million mm -hmm. uh, spotlights come out of it in a, <laughs> like a nanosecond. That's spotlights, searchlights. Searchlights, searchlights. Search right. This is Yeah, that's a whole lot of light in it. That's energy. incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. St. Paul tells us in Romans uh, that God proved his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, he died for us. He died for you. There is a God. This is all real. Mm -hmm. There is a God. He created you for a purpose that's good. When you wanted from his plan, he could have redeemed you some other way. He chose to do it this way, to show you how much he loves you. Next time you're wondering, can I make it past that sin? I want you to remember the message of the cross. Remember the message of the mass. Same message, body of Christ. Do I matter? Body of Christ. Is anybody thinking about me? Body of Christ. Does my pain have purpose? Body of Christ. What's my net worth? Mm -hmm. Body of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's the answer to all the longings and questions in our hearts. Mm -hmm. God loved you so much that he died for you. And that's not the end of the story. He rose from the dead, which makes that death and all our deaths and all our pains in life profoundly beautiful. 
God love you. God love you, Father Spitzer. Thank oh. you so much for, for oh, being with me today. Always my honor. This Thanks, just Chris. A rush. <laughs> <laughs> he is risen. Yes, we'll see you he next is time. Risen. Man, wasn't that great? Listen, if you don't want to be happy, be sure not to subscribe. But if you want a more joyful life, the kind of life that God created you for, the kind of life Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you life to the full, then make sure you hit subscribe and share this channel with everybody you know.